This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, good afternoon, everybody. 2.4 billion Christians, 1.6 billion Muslims, and 14 million who follow the Jewish faith, Judaism. Now, all three religions, on the, on the face of it, believe in the God of the Bible. All activities contained in the Bible took place in the Middle East. So the focus of religious groups, generally speaking, in the uh, form we're looking at, consider the God of the Bible, the location in the Middle East, uh, to be the focal point uh, of their religion. It would therefore appear, wouldn't it, that if they all have some attraction to the Bible, if they all look to the Middle East, if they all believe in that God is the creator of heaven and earth, as the majority do perhaps, one would think that we'd all have a common belief, a common faith, uh, all live happily together in love and a desire to get on with each other, but of course that's not what we find, is it, at all. What we find is that even within the three basic main groups of faith, there is argument, there has been fighting going back hundreds of years, grudges being born for hundreds of years, and these things keep arising from time to time, whether it's in Northern Ireland or wherever it might be, Kosovo and places like that. There's always fighting going on between these religious groups in their own um, entities, and also between them uh, has been going on right the way down the centuries. So if the groups themselves can't agree amongst themselves, what chance is there of the three religions to come together? Why is there these three? Why are these three separate religions, and why is there antagonism between them all? And what is their common interest in the Middle East? Why should this be? If the main character of the Bible, the Lord God Himself, is common to all three faiths, what's the problem? God is a God of love. Therefore, everyone following God's principles should love his enemies and be friendly with his neighbours. Love unites, hate divides. And that's what we see in the world around us today, isn't it? Amongst these three religions and within the three religions as well from place to place. Let's just think for a moment about the, the Bible being something like the highway code. A series of laws clearly written down which you obey or you don't obey and you break the law. If the Bible was like the highway code. Clearly defined regulations. Easy to follow, easy to police by someone who is in control. But let's think then for an example. If the people of Ormskirk decided to ignore the rules about one way streets. Then Ormskirk would be in absolute chaos wouldn't it? Particularly on market days. If the people in Southport decided to ignore the rules about speed limits, again, Southport would be in chaos. And if the people in Rochdale decided to ignore red traffic lights, then again, we'd be in major trouble. We can't take the highway code and split it off into sections we want and say, well, we'll ignore this. Uh, it doesn't really want to apply to us. The highway code applies to everybody with the same force and the same policing. Now, 
Drivers from Rochdale and Southport then wouldn't be welcome in Ormskirk, would they? They would be thinking that the drivers in Ormskirk are lunatics by not obeying the, the laws of the rule of the rule book going the wrong way down one-way streets. And it couldn't be harmony, could it? In drivers coming from different places, having different rules and regulations, it would be absolute chaos. Then imagine that the people in Southport decided, well, we'll add a bit more to the highway code. We'll have it that on Saturdays and Sundays, everybody drives on the right. And so they add their bits, and, and again, it brings more chaos. And that's exactly what's happened with the three main religions in the world. They've taken, they started off with God's word, most of them believing in the early books of Genesis and Exodus and the law of Moses, etc. And then some have said, well, we don't like this bit, we'll take that out. We don't want to believe in this section, we'll omit it. Oh, and we'd like to add in something else um, that uh, suits us to, to add in. Uh, it isn't in the Bible, it isn't in God's word, we'll add it in. Uh, it helps us to uh, follow a certain way. And so what has happened then is, for the Christians, they generally ignore the Old Testament. Taking Jesus as their leader, they have changed their understanding of the one God into a trinity, and the main character of the Old Testament, or one of the main characters, Abraham, they don't see any relevance with Abraham or the promises which God made to Abraham so many years ago. And even many of the church leaders today uh, don't even believe in creation, do they? They don't believe in the resurrection. Uh, and these are archbishops and bishops who come out with these statements. So Christianity has taken the Bible and wants to omit large sections of it. Then we come to the Muslims. Well, they accept the early chapters of the Bible, but reject that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that Muhammad is the prophet sent from God and that his message is sacrosanct. They don't believe that Jesus has a relevant part in God's purpose as far as sacrifice and sin is concerned. They look upon him as a, a good person, a prophet from God, and they do reverence him. But as for the work of the Lord Jesus in living his life and dying on the cross, then that has no relevance to them. They also believe in the immortality of the soul in going to heaven, going to hell. Uh, and again, their future understanding of what God's purpose is, is not in accordance with God's word. Now the Jewish believers, they accept the first five books of Moses and other sections of the Old Testament, but they cannot see the prophecies relating to the Lord Jesus in, for example, Isaiah. And when it comes to the Lord Jesus himself in the New Testament, then they reject him, don't they? They'll have nothing to do with him. They're looking for a Messiah, but as far as they're concerned, it certainly isn't the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see then how the Bible has been taken apart by various religions over the years and, and added to by others, bringing, a, you know, incompatible with the basic teaching of God's word, which runs like a golden thread from the beginning to the end. Again, for the, for the Muslims, Mecca in Saudi Arabia is their most holy site, being the birthplace of Muhammad. Jerusalem is the third most holy place because of the Alaska Mosque and that Muhammad allegedly rose to heaven from that particular place. 
We find that Jerusalem, so I'm told, isn't mentioned in the Quran at all. Jerusalem, the name does not occur. And Muhammad ascended to heaven and is there at this particular moment and has a future role to play. For the Christians, the birthplace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Bethlehem, is held with high regard. Jerusalem is also highly regarded due to its involvement with the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly his crucifixion. But they also, many of them, accept Rome as a a city of great importance as well, where the Pope dwells. And many of the uh, teachings of of the church, again, involve immortal souls going to heaven when you die and going to hell as well. And therefore these teachings, which are not contained in Bible teaching, have been accepted by many Christians as being the way they look towards God's future for them. Happiness in heaven being the ultimate. But what we find is, you see, that many Christians don't ever open their Bibles. They perhaps listen to the the vicar or the parson on Sunday, uh, and he very rarely, I would suggest, refers or studies the Bible. We find that often... Uh, we listen to addresses on the, on the radio, for example, and thoughts for the day. Very rarely does the Bible ever become a feature of what they're, they're saying. It's all philosophy and ideas and thoughts. So we just see then from these few examples, there is a great diversity in understanding the three religions on many topics. They all have a, a basis, a sort of um, common ground in the background of the Bible, but when it comes to actually dealing with it and studying it and understanding it, then they've gone astray in so many areas. Why do we say that? How do we know that? Well, we compare Scripture with Scripture. We look at what the Bible teaches and ask, well, do, does their understanding of these Scriptures follow what the Bible says? And unfortunately, we have to say on many occasions, their understanding of Scripture is not what the Bible says because it comes from man's ideas and their thoughts which they have written in and added to what God's word says. There's a very interesting verse, a very important verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Just one verse really but it sets a standard of what we're saying this afternoon. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 we're just picking out this one verse and it couldn't be clearer and it sets the tone for all of God's word in the scriptures. It says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion. But of peace. As in all churches of the saints. That's clear enough isn't it? God is not the author of confusion. So if the God in whom these three religions uh, hold dearly, uh, has, uh, ha- if, if the people who, who have God as their background, really, um, using him as a common denominator in all three faiths, then one would think that that common denominator of God of the Bible would bring all these religions together, wouldn't you? you think it would have this welding together influence if God is not the author of confusion and people believe in the God of the Bible. Surely this would bring them all together and hold them uh, together as uh, a unity. 
So God is the author, not of confusion, but he is the author of the Bible. He's the author of the Bible. God said, as we find right the way through the Old Testament in particular, God said, God said, God said. It's God's word. And he's not the author of confusion. So how can there be confusion in the various religions in the world today? Well, we can look at one or two points in our thoughts now. First of all, we think about the Middle East. That's part of our title, isn't it? The Middle East. Where does the interest lie, or why does interest lie, in the Middle East, in the religions of the world? This is mainly because of Abraham. Abraham. Abraham, we read of in Genesis and throughout Scripture, is a great character of faith in the Bible. And Abraham was born in Ur of the Chaldees on the Persian Gulf. God called Abraham. He said, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees. And you're going to be brought to a place where you don't know where it is. I know where it is, says God. And I'm going to bring you there. You're going to travel a long way to get to this place that I want you to be involved with. And Abraham travelled something like 2,000 kilometres up the Euphrates and down into the land of Israel. He came into the land of Israel, 2,000 roughly kilometres in actual travel distance. Why did he cause Abram to travel so far? You see, if Mecca had been in the focus of God's purpose, he could have gone to Mecca in 1,400 kilometres. Far easier for Abram to go there if God's purpose was in Mecca. But God called Abraham from that Ur of the Chaldees and brought him down into the promised land, the land of Israel, Middle East, the very centre of it. And then a few years later, Abraham's descendants, because of famine, went down into Egypt. And after a period of some 400 years, God said, you've got to come out of Egypt, I'm going to bring you back into Israel, what became Israel, land of Canaan. Egypt, what, 300 kilometres away? God said, that's not near enough for where I want you to be. You've got to move from Egypt back into the land of Israel. This is the land I've chosen. And whatever happens, you've got to come back into this place. From Egypt or from Ur of the Chaldees, wherever it might be. And so just as we see today, the land of Israel is inhabited by Israelis again. God has said in the word of God that in the last days, the Jews would come back into their own land. And they've come from all over the world, travel thousands of kilometres to come back to this very same place that God promised to Abraham. So there's got to be something special, hasn't there, about that land. And we're reading scripture that the eyes of the Lord are upon this land from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. God has chosen Israel and Jerusalem as the centre for his purpose and his future ongoing operations. In the kingdom of God when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Just, just turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. We, we read of the importance of Israel uh, in the purpose of God. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 9. For ye, he's talking now to Moses and the children of Israel as they're coming out of, uh, of Egypt towards the promised land. For ye are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God giveth you. But when ye go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, 
And when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about, so that ye dwell in safety, then shall there be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall ye bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings, your hand of your hand, and all your choice vows which ye have made unto the Lord. And ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God, ye and your sons and your daughters and your manservants, your maidservants, the Levites, that is within your gates, for as much as he hath no part nor inheritance with you. So the Levites were part of the uh, the civil service, if you like, of the children of Israel and the, the uh, tribes of Israel had their inheritance in the promised land and the Levites were involved but not having a particular inheritance because they were the priests of God. So we can forget then, can't we, Mecca and Rome, as the Mormons claim as well, the USA, as being at the heart of God's purpose. God has chosen Israel and Jerusalem as his everlasting possession. So the eyes of a believer then should only be on Jerusalem and Israel, looking for the promises which God has made, given to Abraham relating to this very land. Abraham was promised inheritance in the land of Israel as it became forever. Not just for a short period of time, but forever. And therefore, for God's eternal purpose, we need to be thinking about Jerusalem and Israel as the focal point of God's work. So when other religions come along and uh, you know have little regard, as uh, perhaps the, the Pope doesn't have much regard for Jerusalem, I don't think. He's more interested in Rome. Uh, we see then the focus is wrong, isn't it? We can see that these religions, these other religions, are not following God's word and understanding the basic principles that God has set. And therefore we get, like we said with the, the highway code, we get chaos. Everybody's believing what they want. They're falling out with everybody else because they all have their own opinions about what is right. And God says, I'm not the author of confusion. What I say is right. Follow my words and you will have peace and harmony and understanding of my promises and the offer of everlasting life. The fundamental belief, I suppose, or one of the fundamental beliefs of Christians, Muslims and Jews is their conviction that you have an immortal soul. And you either go to heaven or you go to hell at death. Now nowhere in the Bible is this idea put forward. Man does not have an immortal soul. We read on many occasions that uh, man when he dies, his physical and mental capacities are finished. He goes to the grave, to the pit, and that's the end of him until the Lord Jesus Christ returns and those who have known God's ways are raised from the dead. Nowhere does it mention a place of torment in hell for mankind. It's referred to in various, shall we say, parables, perhaps that Jesus mentions. But the actual fact of hell means, the word means the pit or the grave, and that's where man goes. We can witness it every day. That's where man ends up. And nowhere does a grave digger dig his grave and find flames coming out, does he? It's, it's just not a, a Bible um, teaching at all about hell fire and things like that. So when we find that the Christians mainly, but the Jews also, and particularly perhaps the Muslims, who have this fear, intense fear, it's a, it's a shame really, of hellfire, which makes them do all sorts of things perhaps they, did, they wouldn't want to do because they're afraid of what the, I mean, the uh, leaders say. Um, 
they're fearful. They're fearful of hell. They, they, they think it's a real place. And they do all sorts of things, as we say, in order to avoid going to hell. So at death, then, the Bible says that all our functions cease. Nobody goes to heaven. No one has gone to heaven apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And nobody goes to a flaming place of hell. We all go to the pit, the grave. And that's the simple teaching of the Bible. So when all three religions, then, place their faith in a false teaching... We ask, why is this? Why do they do it? Well, the idea, you see, perhaps of, of heaven and hell comes particularly right the way through history. The Babylonians and the Greeks in particular were the ones who formalized the ideas and beliefs of heaven and hell. Socrates and Plato were the ones who, who brought this to the fore in their day. And it was accepted by the Jews and became accepted by the Christians and incidentally must therefore have also been accepted by the Muslims which shows to us that when Muhammad wrote his words he was not following God's instruction as the Muslims would claim but he was following Greek philosophy so his word then cannot be trusted can it to be the word of God it's an addition like driving on the right on Saturdays and Sundays in Southport it's not relevant it creates uh, you know ununity un un uh, the, it creates the, the um, well, yeah, the chaos really of, of, of trying to follow two uh, sets of ideas, God's ideas and Muhammad's ideas, which are at odds with the Bible teaching. The Bible unequivocally tells us that Jesus died for sacrifice of sins. When we come to the Quran, there's no answer in the Quran to sinfulness. The putting away of sin through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't exist. Jesus, they say, rose to heaven and didn't die. But scripture tells us quite clearly that Jesus died as a sacrifice for sin. And that until sin is destroyed, death will always remain in place. So God's purpose, you see, through the Lord Jesus Christ is essential to bring everlasting life to the earth. Mankind upon it. Without the death and sacrifice of Jesus, there will be a continual sinning and therefore a continual death for all people. But God's method, which man couldn't have imagined, by God giving his only begotten son as a sacrifice, who would have dreamt up that idea? God's way then is seen to be the only positive way to resolve this situation of sin and death. And the Jews, of course, don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ at all. And therefore they neither have an answer to sin and death. I suppose they would continue offering sacrifices forever. Animal sacrifices with no end to the problem of sin and death. So the Bible deals with all these issues. The fundamentals and facts of life. Life and death. The person we mentioned earlier, Abraham... The one to whom God gave all the promises. The father of Isaac and Jacob and the twelve tribes of Israel. He is the one whom Jews and Muslims also accept as being very important in their history. The Jews of course and the Christians would follow that the Lord Jesus Christ descended from Abraham. 
through Isaac and Jacob and Israel, and then through, through David and so on, through the Old Testament records. Whereas the, the Muslims would take the line of Ishmael. So he was the one whom God chose uh, to be uh, important in the future events of, of the world. And the descendants of Ishmael are the ones who um, the, the Muslims have as, as the key to the future. But again, what we find is that God's word brings about information regarding Abraham and his descendants throughout scripture, which are all vital to the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was not after the descendancy of Ishmael. He was after the descendancy of Isaac and Jacob. So again, we see that very quickly, if we follow Ishmael through, yes, he did receive blessings from God, but we come to a dead end as far as the future is concerned and the inheritance of the land of Israel and the giving of eternal life to those who have faith like Abraham did. So again, the three religions are at complete odds relating to Abraham. And therefore there's no unity, is there, in their understanding of what the Bible teaches. So when we talk about Christians then, we're looking at people who say they have a belief in God, say they have a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, but in reality, uh, very few of them really study the Bible and often, often come to wrong conclusions because they listen to what other people say rather than looking at the Bible for themselves and finding out what it actually does say. Now, we mentioned Abraham. We haven't got time to look at the promises which God made to Abraham. But the promises which God made to Abraham and his seed, his offspring down the ages, God says that his offspring, the seed of Abraham, would inherit the land of Israel forever. That they would have everlasting life. And I've just outlined to you that the descendants of Abraham basically are the Jews, the Jewish people. And therefore we'd ask the question, well, if the Jews are descended from Abraham and Abraham received the promise of everlasting life in the kingdom of God on earth, the land, the inheritance which God promised to him, how can Gentiles become involved with the promise of God if it was to a Jewish element through Abraham? How do Gentiles become involved? And is there a, a category uh, where we, we keep all, all ourselves separate? The Muslims are just there, Christians are there, and the Jews are there, and the, there's never any correlation between the three. Well, how does it work? Just turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 6. And Abraham is, is the key to our understanding of these things. He says here, chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 6, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Well, Abraham did believe God. He moved from Ur of the Chaldees to the land of promise, believing that God was with him, and offered him promises relating, as we say, to everlasting inheritance of the land to which God brought him. So he believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. Verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. 
So he's not saying here, is he, you have to be a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, to have any involvement in the promise. He says if you're a a child of faith, if you have belief like Abraham did, whether you were a Muslim or a Christian or or a Jew of whatever background, he says the important thing is to have the faith of Abraham. To believe God's word just like Abraham did. Verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, and that word is the nations, through faith. So we're not identifying individual nations, saying just the the land of Israel and the Israelites are uh, going to receive the promises. God says, um, through scripture, that he would justify or make right the nations, anybody who believes God, through faith. So faith is the important thing, isn't it? And that faith was preached before to Abraham in the form of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God on earth. And the good news that is preached by uh, God to Abraham was that in thee, Abraham, shall all nations be blessed. So we can't start saying then, can we, that just this nation here, uh, uh, or this religion here, uh, is chosen by God and they are the ones... God has said out of any nation anybody who has faith and belief in me can become a child of Abraham through faith let's just read on verse uh, verse 26 now jumping right now to verse 26 he says for ye are all the children of God all the children of God how by faith in Christ Jesus for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ and then he says there's neither Jew nor Greek there's neither bond nor free there's neither male nor female for ye are all one in Christ Jesus through faith and belief in God's word so you see all these artificial divisions then which people set up and fight about uh, literally in their religion it's all nonsense isn't it God is saying I'm calling you out of this system and I'm, I'm not counting any nation, any national um, you know, person of any uh, feature, whether it's you know, Jew or Greek or uh, male, female, bond or free. Uh, you all have the same opportunity of having the same faith that Abraham did. Believing me, believing my word and acting upon it. So that's what's required of everybody then, isn't it? Who comes to God and has a hope of the future. And so these verses then cut through the three main religions and the countries in which they operate and saying that anybody who has faith can come to God and be called a child of God, one of his special ones, and will, through their faith and the mercy and grace of God, receive a place in the kingdom which is to be established on the earth. Now if we just move on a few pages to Ephesians, the Epistle to the Ephesians and chapter 1 chapter 1 verse 10 he says there that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, 
being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise and of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we're having sort of, you know, a few ideas coming together here, aren't we? God's word is the truth. And God is not the author of confusion, because that would be lies, wouldn't it? Man has introduced lies into God's teaching by believing what he wants to believe and believing uh, Greek philosophy and so forth. The gospel is also the truth of God's word. So we have the truth, the gospel, and God not being involved in confusion at all. And so we have to come then, don't we, to the whole of God's word. We have to believe what God has said and take him at his word. Which, as we say, unfortunately, the vast majority of people of whatever religion do not do. We come down to chapter 4 of Ephesians and the first few verses. Chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus... Uh, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he says, There is one body and one Spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So again, it's clear, isn't it, that we cannot have random worship, random beliefs. There is just one set way which God has set in his word. And... Well, the members in our, our ecclesias from, from all backgrounds, Roman Catholics, Muslims, have all come to understand God's word and believed it and been baptised. Understanding that faith is necessary in God's word of the hope of the calling made. So it is essential then, isn't it, uh, that we have this common belief and this common faith which God has put before us that we might have in our hearts and minds. The, the death and resurrection then of the Lord Jesus is an unescapable fact in the prophecies of the Old Testament. And this is where we want to turn to our reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. See, God, God has, has, if we can put it this way, bent over backwards so that we might have an understanding from both Old and New Testament of what the purpose of God is. He hasn't left it to chance and for us to say, well, let's put this idea forward because it seems a good idea. He's written it all down for our learning. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Now the Muslims and the Jews do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this calling then that we have is, as verse 4 says, to an inheritance. So unless we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, there's no inheritance. Because the two are linked together in these verses here. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved or kept in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in this last time. So again, that's quite clear, isn't it? Through the resurrection, we have a hope of life forevermore. We have hope of resurrection ourselves at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith unto salvation. And it's ready to be revealed in this last time, the last time of the world in which we live before Jesus returns. Down to verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. See, this is what's necessary. Uh, sometimes, you know, we, we, we're not always students, are we? We don't always like to study all the time. But he says you've got to study sufficiently to understand the purpose of God. And that's why we're here to help anybody who wants to understand. We, we're here to help to understand the teaching of the Bible. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. So the prophets testified in the Old Testament beforehand, before it happened, the sufferings of Christ. They said there's no escaping it because God did that in order that we might have this hope. He laid it all out before us particularly in Isaiah. It's interesting that the prophecy of Isaiah, which speaks about the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, his resurrection uh, and his, his um, character, etc., is one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which has been found almost intact. So there's no way, you can say it's a fabrication. The prophets wrote about the Lord Jesus Christ, and the record is there, found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in Isaiah's prophecy particularly, confirming what Jesus was going to do and what he fulfilled in his life through his life and his death. So we carry on in this, in this verse. Unto whom, um, verse 12, it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister these things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. So he's saying that what was reported in Isaiah, for example, is now being reported today by those who've, who've seen Jesus, lived with him, and followed what he does. So the record is there beforehand, and it's fulfilled in what these people saw in the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Down to verse 18. For as much, he says, as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or way of life received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot so there's no other way is there he's saying that you, you can't receive salvation by buying it uh, again we know how you know um, sins were paid for by uh, <clears throat> people poor people often in the 
Middle Ages, um, through fear, they, they paid for repentance of sins and uh, to re- be relieved of what they'd done. And the church grew very rich because of that. And these poor people had to give up their money in order to have forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says that's not the way it is. The forgiveness of sins is through the sacrifice of Jesus. And the Jews won't accept that, and neither do the Muslims. And many Christians do not understand the principle here either. So we have to get back to the Bible, don't we, in order to understand what God's word is all about and why the Middle East is important and why the religions that are there are grasping after straws. They've no idea, have they, really, what life's about. See, the other problem with religions is they've got involved with politics and nationalism. And and they they split themselves off into groups depending upon where they come from and who they follow. That again, not the way of the Bible. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the king of the future age. So down finally in this uh, chapter to verse 23, he says what we should do, being born again. We should be born again. Well, what's he talking about? Not of incorruptible seed, but of, uh, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruption incorruptible how is it done by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever as we could see in, in Acts we haven't got time to go to that through baptism it is that's the way um, but through God's word through baptism and faith verse 24 for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away but the word of the Lord endureth forever And this is the word which, by the gospel, is preached unto you. There's no confusion with God's word. It is the power to bring us everlasting life. The word of God which is preached unto you. So the return of the Lord Jesus Christ then to the Middle East is the answer which the word of God gives to us as a solution to all the divisions amongst the nations, amongst religions, Jesus will come with power, it says, and great glory to establish God's kingdom. He will override all the false religions. He will show to mankind the right way, the truth of God's word. He will show the wounds in his hands and his side and his feet to indicate to the Jews in particular that he was the one that their forefathers crucified. And he's the one who alone would bring salvation. And they'll mourn and weep when they realise that he's the one they crucified. And they should have upheld as the future Messiah. And so we finally then just turn... Well, I've got a couple of passages I'd like to turn to. One is uh, Luke chapter 1. Because this you know, confirms in a very succinct, succinct verse the, um, the purpose of God really and, and how it's all about. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. And the angel, and this is the angel Gabriel. Uh, And if you look at the Quran, the angel Gabriel says all sorts of things in the Quran, allegedly, which are against the teaching of Scripture. So again, you've got to say, well, you can't accept the Quran really as an authority because it's claiming an authority which it doesn't have. The angel Gabriel was speaking to Mary about matters which the Quran rejects. Uh, So the angel said unto Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. 
shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever of his kingdom there shall be no end and again to the, to the person who might be casually reading this and say well who's David who's Jacob they don't know you see that the name of Jacob was changed to Israel they don't know that David was the king of Israel and received promises from God about everlasting life and kingship of his son the Lord Jesus so you see sometimes in just reading these things briefly we don't understand them but when we get a little bit of study and understanding of God's word we see how it, how it all fits together and all this is down the ages of scripture uh, showing to us that God's purpose has always been with the Lord Jesus Christ that his kingdom shall be forever and final uh, passage I just want to turn to is Romans chapter 1 because this, this tells us really again why there are these main religions in the world uh, and what it's all about Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 verse 20 because this is applicable today it says for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse what he's saying here is the creation that we see has been composed and brought about by almighty God by ways and means you can't even imagine and what's happening, of course, with the scientist today, he's trying to give an explanation of things he can't see. And, and what he says is, uh, one minute he'll say, well, you know, if six billion years ago this happened, and we now understand uh, how things developed through evolution. And then a few months later, another scientist comes along and says, oh, we used to think, we used to think six billion years this happened, but now we, we know this happened. And suddenly a theory of the past becomes a, a, a certain fact of the future. And then another three months or so down the line, somebody else will come along and say, well, that theory is wrong. It's now this. So that's how God has, has said it is. You, you can't see how I brought these things together. But the evidence is there in nature. You can see it has been done by God himself. And he says at the end of that verse, they're without excuse. Look at the handiwork of God and believe. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened and we can apply that to the science of evolution today in particular professing themselves to be wise they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible god into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own heart to dishonour their own bodies between themselves. And then it adds in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So three religions, Middle East, why it's all about well it's all about God's word but we have to understand God's word in its truth in its clarity and not understand the false teaching of those who purport to understand God's word it might be major religions and billions of people following them but unless they're following the bible they're lost
We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Thank you.